we're going to start out with a little levity, amen, because uh, we're going to talk about discipline, disciplining God, God disciplining his children and getting our attention. How many of you in your life before God's had to get your attention? How many of you has, has been stubborn like your preacher and God had to really get your attention? That's not fun, is it? Uh, I'm glad, I'm glad that we do have a God that cares enough to get our attention. Amen. Let's look in Hebrews 12 and verse number three, verse number three. If you found your spot, say amen. amen. It says, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. And here, here's really where we started all this last week. Lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. We talked a lot of, about uh, laying aside the sin and the, and the weight that does so easily beset us. We talked about focusing on Jesus and, and looking toward him so that we won't get weary, so we won't get stressed out, so we won't get wigged out in life and want to quit. Uh, and, and really the theme of Hebrews or, or the subject of Hebrews, the reason he's writing is, is because he has a whole lot of Christians that are wanting to quit. They're wanting to turn back and go back to their old Jewish ways and go back into Judaism and, and go back into the temple worship because at this time the temple was, was, still, uh, uh, was still there and still built, hadn't been torn down yet. And, and so they were getting frustrated. They, was, they were drifting away from the word. They were ne neglecting the word of God in their life. And because of that, they were getting weary. They were getting tired, and they were ready to quit. So this particular verse, really, it, it tells us what's going on. And, and we talked about things that, that causes us to get weary last week. And then we're going to talk about this week, the discipline part of it. Now, God was getting some of their attention. Sometimes we'll get frustrated in life because of the things that we're facing and the things that we're going through, and it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily just a part of life. It may be that God is having to get our attention about some things. And so that's what he's telling them in verse number, verse number five. Look at verse number five. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. In other words, he, he, now he, he reads out of Proverbs, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. He begins to remind them of Old Testament scripture. He said, you've done forgotten this. Now, there was a time you knew this, but you've forgotten that the, who the Lord loves, he's going to get a hold of. Verse 6, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement... In other words, if, if, you're, if you're living a life contrary to this book, if you are doing things that's diametrically opposed to the will of God and the purpose of God for your life and what this book says, and, and, and you're not being chastised, God is saying right here, you don't belong to him. It, it, it always scares me when people will, will say they're saved and they say, well, I'm a member of this place or I've been baptized at this date and I, I, I know I'm saved, but they're living like whoremongers and they're living like uh, just crazy and nothing is taking place in their life. No chastisement, no discipline whatsoever. And God is saying right here, if you do not have discipline when you stray away from God, you don't belong to him. You have a false profession. You're not a child of God. If that makes sense, say amen. He says in verse number, uh, uh, verse number nine, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh. Now see, he's, he's trying to encourage them and, and help them. Don't get upset when God has to get your attention because now he brings the illustration of our human fathers. He said, we had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and, and when they corrected us, we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit. In other words, there's times that your, your parents, they whooped you so they could have a better life. Are y'all with me? There were times that I got a whooping so they could have peace, amen? And that's what he said right here. There's not always in, in, the, in human flesh, they, we didn't always get corrected just for our benefit. Sometimes it was for the parents' benefit. But what he says here is God always disciplines his children for their profit. Man, that's encouraging. He says in verse number, verse number nine, 
or, or excuse me, verse 10, for they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure for their own benefit, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. There ain't nothing fun about a whooping, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruits of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, wherefore, because of that, because of hearing that and knowing that, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. In other words, tighten up. Listen, perk up. Make straight paths for your feet. Let's, 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 hey, let's straighten our life out. Let's get these things in order. Let's fix those things that are broken. Let's straighten up the, the life that we're living that's wrong. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and, come on, y'all, and holiness. holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Father, thank you for your word, your goodness, and your mercy. Thank you for a hungry crowd that's here tonight to feed on your word, and I pray they will not leave disappointed. I pray that you'll teach us. I pray that you'll help us. I pray that you'll change us. Let us grow into mature soldiers of the cross. And God, I'll praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We're going we're gonna to go into, we're gonna go into really both outlines. I want to start with the new <clears throat> and read kind of as an illustration. <clears throat> and, then, and then go into the old, finish it up so you'll have your old outline finished. And then go into more detail. <clears throat> about God's discipline, okay? Uh, so here, let's start in the first. Look on the first paragraph of your new outline. And, and, and I want to really talk about this particular subject. Uh, last week, we talked about uh, when we get physically tired and then when we get mentally tired and the reason that takes place and some of the things we need to do as far as laying aside the sin that does so easily beset us and, and focusing on Jesus. And now, now he's getting to the point, now he's getting to the point he wants to talk about discipline because some of the people were being disciplined. Some of the people, God was getting their attention and it was not fun. It was not, uh, it, it was not anything that they were looking forward to and they were getting weary with it. They were getting frustrated with it because they didn't realize God was doing it for their own benefit and some didn't even realize it was God doing it at all they just thought it was a part of life and what was going on and he said you've done forgotten that God will get the attention of his children and so with that being said we're going to take this part right here this section on discipline this section on God's love for us and, and, and discuss it in detail. We're going to go into the part. There's three different stages of discipline that's found here in Hebrews, and we're going to, we're going to talk about them in the new outline. So if that makes sense, say amen. If we do not listen, if we do not listen to God's word and really hear it, we will start to drift. Neglect always leads to drifting in things material, physical, or even spiritual. As we drift from the word, we start to doubt the word. In other words, when we neglect our reading, our studying, hearing the word preached, hearing the word taught, uh, uh, you remember in this book is the verse where we find it says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And they were, they were ignoring God's word. They were forsaking coming together and, 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 and coming together as a church and, and, and focusing on God's word. And because of that, they were drifting away from it. Uh, they were, they were, their lives were not following the word. Now, we start to get hard hearts then, and this leads to spiritual sluggishness. In other words, a, a, an inability to understand the word, which produces dullness toward the word. We become dull of hearing or, or lazy listeners, if you will. This leads to a despiteful attitude toward the word to the extent that we are willfully disobeying God. And this gradually develops into a defiant attitude. We almost dare God to do anything. Now, remember, he's speaking to save people. He is not speaking to lost people. We do not expect lost people to act like saved people. We do not expect lost people to follow this book. He is speaking primarily, specifically to save people. And it is easy as a saved person to neglect the word of God. It's easy to drift away from the word of God. Now, here's what happens. It, how, how many of y'all have realized that getting out of church is a whole lot easier than getting into church? I use this illustration all the time. Uh, uh, you get out on WD-40 and you come back on sandpaper. It's always easier to get out because going to church is kind of like going to the gym. 
Going to church is kind of like going to the gym. It shouldn't be that way, but it is. Guess what? Uh, something comes up. You have a doctor's appointment. I can't make it to the gym today, but I'll, I'll, I'll go. And you've been going regularly. You've been going faithfully. Uh, I mean, you're excited about it. Things are happening. You're seeing changes in your body. You're seeing changes in your life. And all these things are going on. And then something comes up and you have to miss. Well, then later on, something else comes up, and, 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 and maybe there, there was something on TV you really wanted to watch, so you stayed home because you didn't own a DVR, and, and, and I, I, it's not going to hurt nothing. One Sunday's not going to hurt anything. And eventually, little by little, the more we neglect coming together, the more we neglect reading our Bible, the more we neglect studying the Word, we just keep drifting and drifting to the point all the way, and, and, and you'll see different words in here, drifting, dull of hearing. All of these is through the book of Hebrews. Uh, defiant, being defiant. You will go from being on fire for God to drifting away from God all the way to the point that you disobey the word of God, and you know you're doing it, but you do it anyway. I'm talking about saved people. Y'all with me? Saved people, people that have uh, the Holy Spirit in them. They have the potential to do everything we just said. And it starts with drifting. It starts with drifting. We don't all of a sudden on fire for God one day, and then the very next day we're angry and, and we're, we're spiteful and, and, and we're defiant toward God. It don't work that way, little by little. We used to, we used to my mom would take me and, 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 and my brother and sister to the beach when we were little bitty kids and and, and the current was, uh, uh, it was it's real strong in the area that we lived at in, in Fort Pierce. And, and I remember me and Joe would be out there, and, and, uh, and, and she'd always warn us, don't get out too deep, don't get out too deep. And we had this little system uh, that we would, even in, even in knee deep of water, we'd just lay in the water to our necks. So the only time she ever seen us, it was water up to our necks, and we just inch our way out inch our way out because she still thinks that you know and 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 before long we'd look up and we'd look up at the beach and uh and and there were strange people on the beach and we'd look and and mom would be way down the beach and we didn't realize but the current was slowly taking us away you see that's what happens to people in church that's what happens to people in their Christian life. They slowly drift, and they drift so slow they don't realize until the point that they wake up one day and think to themselves, how in God's name did I get here? How in the world did I get in such a place in my life that I am operating and acting like this, and it's because of a neglect of God's word? Now, now while all this is going on, while all this is going on, our drifting and are getting uh, spiritually lazy and sluggish and dull of hearing. Now, what does God do while this spiritual regression is going on? He keeps speaking to us. Amen. He keeps encouraging us to get back to the word. If we fail to listen and obey, then he begins to chasten us. And this chastening process is the theme of Hebrews 12, where we're at right now. The climactic chapter in this whole epistle, the Lord shall judge his people. He shall judge his people. God does not allow his children to become spoiled brats by permitting them to willfully defy his word. He always chastens in love. Listen, God will never sweep things under the rug. Now, here's what happens sometimes. God's God is very loving. He is very kind and 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 he is very patient. And because of that, sometimes because the the justice of God is not swift sometimes, we think we've gotten away with it. Or we think he doesn't care. Or we think it doesn't matter. Until it's too late. I heard, a, I heard a professor say one time that the wheels of God's justice may grind slowly, but they grind surely. And that's true. If we start this process, if we start drifting from God, if we start, if we start getting away, God's going to start sounding the alarms, and, and we're going to go into detail about that. Now, here's what I want you to see. Look at your old outline, the third point under your old outline, under our motivation 
Last week we talked about this, and if, if you're here new tonight and you didn't get one of these outlines, if you'll, if you'll let them know at the media center, we'll make sure and print you out one. Uh, here, let's finish this outline from last week. Our motivation. I want you to see the reminder about discipline, verses 5 through 8. Chastening is the evidence of the Father's love. Say that with me. Chastening is the evidence of the Father's love. Satan wants us to believe that the difficulties of life are proof that God does not love us. But that's just the opposite. Sometimes God's chastening is seen in his rebukes from the word or from circumstances. At other times, he shows his love by punishing us with some physical suffering. In whatever the experience, we can be sure that his chastening hand is controlled by his loving heart. Say amen. The Father does not want us to be pampered babies. He wants us to become mature adult sons and daughters who can be trusted with the responsibilities of life. Look at B. We see A, the reminder about discipline, then B, the results of discipline. What happens, what happens when God disciplines us? It says in verse number, verse number 10, it says, For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Verse 11, now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Now watch this. The results of discipline, number one, they are confirmed. They are confirmed. No chastening at the time is pleasant, either to the father or to his son, but the benefits are profitable. Now I'm sure that a few children believe that when, uh, or, or I'm sure that few children believe it when the parents say, "This hurts me more than it hurts you," but it is true just the same. Uh, the father does not enjoy having to discipline his children, but the benefits afterward make the chastening an evidence of his love. What are some of the benefits? For one thing, there's the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Instead of continuing in sin, the child strives to do what is right. There is also peace instead of war, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Uh, the rebellion has ceased, and the child is in a loving fellowship with the father. Chastening also encourages a child to exercise in spiritual matters. The word of God, prayer, meditation, witnessing, etc. All of this leads to a new joy. Paul describes it this way, righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit in Romans 14, 17. Now, this, these results are not only confirmed, but they're conditional. They're conditional. You say, what do you mean? It, it means, how do you respond to God's discipline? Everything is conditional with God. God will say, if you do this, then I will do this, right? All through God's word, it says, if then, if then. God will respond in a way, but we, it depends on our response to him, our response to his action that he's taken in our life will determine what we get out of the discipline or the chastening process. In other words, for instance, for instance, uh, God got a hold of David, and we'll talk about that in a minute, and chastened him, and, and, and David responded with repentance. David responded in such a way he got right with God. God, God touched him and forgave him and restored him, so forth and so on. Cain. Cain disobeyed God. He willfully disobeyed God, got angry about it, got bitter about God correcting him. And you see, his response was different. He turned around and killed his brother. Now think about that. That happens all the time. That happens all the time. God's people, God's people will go to church. They will come to church and, 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 and they will be living a life they know is contrary to God's word. And God will have to get their attention and when God gets their attention, guess what they do? They take it out on their neighbor. They take it out on their Christian brother or sister. And the reason that is, is because, because they're angry and they're miserable because when you're saved and you're outside the will of God, you're a miserable creature. And you want everybody to be miserable. And what makes you more miserable is when you see somebody else being blessed because they're being obedient. You see, how you respond to God's action in your life determines what you get out of it. You can either get mad, and if you get mad, you're going to get bitter. And when you get bitter, you get hard. 
You see, the same sun, the same sun that melts butter, hardens clay. And, and the same discipline that comes from the same father can come into one person's life and harden their heart, but melt the others. Are y'all with me? Do you remember, do you remember when in, in, in Acts chapter number 2, in Acts chapter number 2, when Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost? And I'm talking about he was laying it down. I mean preaching hell, fire, brimstone. You killed Jesus. Y'all are a bunch of murderers. It's your fault. He was the son of God, and you murdered him, and it was through him and stuff. I mean, read it. That's, that's what he was saying, basically. And, man, it broke them down. And they said, what do we do? But this is a, this is a key phrase. When he was preaching the word, what is this Bible? What is this Bible? What is, what is a good illustration of this Bible? What's it called in Hebrews? It's, it's what? A sword, right? It's sharper than any two-edged. All right, he took the sword and he went to work. Now watch what it says. They were pricked in their heart and said, men and brethren, what must we do? Right? Okay, they got saved. They repented. If you keep on reading in the book of Acts, if you keep on reading in the book of Acts, you'll come when Stephen was preaching. And if you'll, if you'll study his, his manuscript, if you'll study his outline and his preaching and his message, it was the same identical message that Peter was preaching. Did he have revival? No. Did the Bible say they were pricked in the heart? No. It said they were cut to the heart. And you know what they did? They didn't get saved. They rushed him and bit him. Literally, the Bible says they gnawed on him with their teeth. They were biting him. They went crazy. That's a crowd to preach to. Say amen. I mean, literally went crazy on him and stoned him and killed him. Now, what's the difference? Same message. They were both anointed with the same spirit, filled with the same power of God. But the Bible says that first crowd in Acts 2, they were pricked in the heart. But the second crowd was cut to the heart. Now, what's, what's the difference? The same sword was used. But if I took this, if I took this material, if I took this material and I, and I touched it with a knife or a sword, now, it would, it would poke it and it would prick the material but if, if the material gave to the sword, it would only get pricked. But if the material stiffened up and bowed up, and that same sword had the same, guess what? It would cut the material. The difference between Acts 2, and I believe it's in Acts 7 or 8, 8, I believe, uh, uh, one was pricked in the heart, one was cut to the heart. It was their response to God's word to them. Now, the things that we're going to talk about here in just a minute, the, the different stages of discipline in God's life, it's all going to determine how we respond to it. Are we going to be submissive? Are we going to be pliable clay? You see, I, I, took, I took pottery uh, in, in, in high school. I know it's a sissy class, but there's a good-looking girl in there. Say amen. <laughs> so all you guys in here, give me a little break right there. Amen. They took that clay, and it was wet and, and pliable and soft, and as long as it was soft and pliable, it just bent to the hands of the potter. But when it got hard and stiff, when you went to move it, it would just break. It'd just break. Now, your life is like that in God's hands. What's it going to do? Are you going to give to God's hand in your life? Are you going to give to God's moving in your life and God's discipline in your life, God's working in your life? Or are you going to stiffen up and get stubborn? Because if you stiffen up and get stubborn, you're going to break. I promise you, he's not. Are y'all with me? Watch this. They're conditional. Of course, the important thing is how God's child responds to chastening. He cannot, he can despise it or feign under it, but both of these are wrong. He should show reverence to the Father by submitting to his will, using the experience to exercise himself spiritually. 
Uh, Hebrews 12, 12 through 13 sounds like a coach's orders to his team. Lift up your hands. Strengthen those knees. Get up. Get ready. Get those lazy feet on track. On your mark. Get set. That's y'all's point. All right. All right. Now, flip, flip your notes over. Flip your notes over. Let's talk, let's talk in detail about discipline so we can recognize it. So we can recognize it a little easier. Uh, sometimes, sometimes we've, we've mentioned this before, we've mentioned this before, but I want to, I want to say it again, just to remind those who, who wasn't here before. Sometimes discipline and development feels the same. Sometimes God's discipline and God's development, it feels the same. They both hurt like everything. They both are painful. They both cause suffering. Are y'all with me? They're both very difficult. And sometimes it's hard to understand the difference. It's hard to recognize the difference. And what happens is, is we're living right. We're living holy. We're living the best we know how. We're doing everything we know we're supposed to do. There's no unconfessed sin in our life. We, we think we're right with God. And it seems like all hell's breaking loose. For example, Job. I mean, Job was so right, God recommended him. Y'all with me? But then he started going through all kind of stuff, and man, he thought God was punishing him because discipline feels a lot like development, and development feels a lot like discipline. So we said this, in order to recognize discipline, in order to recognize discipline, it's not difficult. It's, it's really not difficult. Because God will never discipline one of his children without them knowing exactly why he's being disciplined. And, and we're going to go through stages here. We're going to go through stages here. You say, why are there stages? The stages are determined by your stubbornness. Y'all with me? How many of y'all know God's a perfect God? How many of y'all know God is a just and righteous God? How many of y'all know he's not going to whip you more than you need? Y'all with me? How many of y'all have had children? How many of y'all have had children? How many of y'all have had children that uh, uh, this right here would get their attention? I mean, they'll melt right in them. Just give them the eye. And it, it worked. Now, I'm telling you, it worked. You wouldn't need nothing else. I mean, that's all, dude. They get right back in line, straighten their act up, and here we go. But you got that one. Y'all with me? Now, I'm not going to go into detail about this, but there's always one that you really got to get their attention. Now, here's the thing. Discipline, discipline is not necessarily for punishment. It's for restoration. And a lot of us don't get that. Well, God's mad at me. So, you know, a lot of times, and we got to admit this now, guys, we got to admit this. Sometimes our parents discipline us because they're mad at us. It wasn't restoration. It was punishment. I'm going to whip you till I feel better. Amen. That's what I felt anyway. And sometimes, and that's because, that's because of our human weakness and our human frailty in our flesh. We can't be like God. Sometimes that happens, and, and it's sad that that does happen, but it does happen. But it never happens with God. God never disciplines for the sake of punishment. God always disciplines for the sake of restoration. And, and, and you say, why are you making such a big deal about that point? Because he will never discipline you past the point that you're restored. Once you get back to where you're supposed to be, the, the discipline is over. It's over. Now, Let's look at this. Let's look at this. There are three stages of discipline that God, uh, God uses on his children. Now, let me, let, me, let me make sure I made my point clear right there. Uh, discipline and development. Discipline, God will never discipline you without you knowing why you're being disciplined. You will know because he will give you an opportunity to make it right. And when you're doing the thing that you're doing that's going to bring discipline upon you, God is telling you the whole time to quit doing it. Amen? Now watch. 
here, there's three stages. First, it starts with a rebuke. A rebuke. <clears throat> the Bible says in verse 5, And ye have, ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. And, and let me say a word about that word chastening. Uh, it also it, it carries the, the point of training. It carries the point of training in, in the early the Greek days that they would take a young man and he would have to exercise in the, in the gym until he reached maturity and adulthood. And, and, and some of the words used in the word chastening here literally means that God uses this to mature us, to develop us, to train us, all right? So he said, don't, don't, don't despise the Lord when you're being chastened of him, nor faint when thou art, say it with me, when thou art. So the first stage, the first stage of discipline is always a rebuke. It's always a rebuke. The word here means to admonish or a verbal warning, a verbal warning. God will say, hey, stop that. Hey, you're not supposed to be doing that. Hey, that's not right. Uh, the Holy Spirit will, boy, it'll prick our heart. God will prick our conscience for a sin if we commit it. He will use preaching and teaching of the word to rebuke you. Sometimes in your prayers, God will speak to you. God will try and get your attention, and sometimes it's through the words of others. Let's think about this. How about the, 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 the city of Nineveh? How about the city of Nineveh? You remember when, when God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and cry under the city of Nineveh and, and say, look, if you don't repent, if you don't get right, uh, uh, I'm going to destroy this city. And, 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 and that's a whole other story of discipline with Jonah. And, and it finally got, you know, God had to get his attention several times. And he, he, so he's here in the city. He goes and he preaches against this wicked, 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 wicked city and, and says, if you don't get right, uh, and he's preaching and teaching, God's going to destroy this city. And he goes up on the hill and waits for God to destroy the city. But guess what? They listened, they heard, and they repented. But God spoke to them and said, what you're doing is wrong. Quit it. And God will do the same thing. God will do the same thing. There's been many times, there's been many times in my Christian life that I've been sitting in a pew and, and knowing there's things in my life and the preacher get up and preach on it and it, it felt like that preacher had a 32-foot-long finger right at the end of my nose. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And it seemed like every time I went to church, he could be preaching on the second coming and it ended up on what I had an issue with because the Holy Spirit always knew what I needed. In some way or another, something would be said. I've had people come up to me, and, and I believe this is a supernatural deal. I really do. I, I, don't, I, don't believe, I, don't, I don't believe that this is an accident. I don't believe that this is something that the preacher can make up because people, people have come to me after service and said, well, I tell you what, when you said such and such, that just really, and I don't remember saying it to this day. And I've gone and checked the tape and see if I said that, and I never said it, but they heard it. You can believe what you want, don't matter to me, but I believe this. No matter what comes out of my mouth, God's going to make sure you hear what you need to hear. You see, that's just how big our God is. Our, big, our God's so big that we can have 400 people in this place right now and have 400 problems and 400 different needs and 400 different situations and four, maybe 400 different sins, and God will speak one message from the preacher and hit all four of them right between the eyes. I believe God can do that. I believe the Holy Spirit is so real and so powerful that he can speak to us through the message. He can speak to us through the preaching and teaching of, of God's word. He also speaks to us through other people. He also speaks that Nathan, the prophet Nathan, went to David and said, Thou art the man. God spoke to him and said, you need to confront the king. You need to confront him in his adulterous affair. He committed murder, and, and Nathan went to David, and he, he explained his story, and David got all mad. He didn't even realize he was pronouncing his own judgment, and he said, thou art the man. How about Paul? You say, that's all Old Testament. What about Paul? The Bible says that, I, I believe it's in the book of Galatians, that, that Paul went up to Peter, and, and this is the way it said, he withstood him to the face. He got all up in Peter's grill, say amen. You know why? Because Peter was being a hypocrite. He was being basically a respecter of persons. 
He was hanging out. This is the way, this is the way it went. Peter, as a Jew, you know, in Judaism, Jews didn't hang out with, with Gentiles. Uh, but after Jesus died on the cross, he made one body, the church, say amen. Wasn't either Jew nor Gentile. It was all one. Everything was good. And, and, and God had accepted the Gentiles into the church. And, and we're all to be together as one body and one bride of Christ. And, and he was hanging out with the Gentiles. He was eating with the Gentiles until the other Jews showed up. And when the other Jews showed up, he was afraid what them Jews would think about him if he was hanging out with these Gentiles, so he separated from them. What a hypocrite. Well, guess what? Paul saw that, and Paul addressed it and said, don't be no punk. He withstood him to the face. You know, sometimes, sometimes as bad as that is, sometimes that's necessary. You know, there's different people with different, different personalities. There's people with personalities. I, there's, there's certain preachers. Um, I, I, to this day, I say, how in God's name could God use something like that? I've seen some that was so rough and gruff and, 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 and I mean mean sounding. I mean, if it was in here and, and you would think, you would think, I, I, I mean, I'm sitting here watching this guy. He, he's looking, and I know he wasn't even saying nothing. He was just doing it for the shock value. Uh, don't you look at me like that again? I'll rip your head off. And here we, you know, and he's preaching. People shouting, "Hey, man!" I'm like, "What, man? Are you serious? This dude needs a reality check." Give the invitation. People flood the altar and get saved. I mean, this guy is just. And I asked, I asked a, a mutual friend of ours who, who I thought had some sense. And, and, and I'm serious. I mean that in, in, in the most respectful way. He was, to me, he was like the polar opposite of this other guy. And I said, what's the deal with this? Because he was good friends with him. And, and I said, he said, Malcolm, you, you got to understand, there's some people that's just really hard. There's, there's, there's truck drivers and there's uh, 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 motorcyclists and there's just guys that grew up rough and hard and just, and he began, and he said, that's the kind of language, that's the only kind of language that gets their attention. And you, you would see it, man. You, 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 you see people in there that would just, I'm like, what? You know, sometimes God has to send somebody to withstand us to the face and say, look, this lifestyle you're living, it's not right. Now, let me, let me say this. Let me say this. Don't nobody go volunteering for that job. <laughs> Let's let the, the word of God and the Holy Spirit do that because that was a one-time thing in the Bible. And that was the Apostle Paul. Y'all with me? So if, if you feel like you need to withstand somebody to the face, get on your face first before his face, and I believe he can handle it. And, and I'm saying that, and, I'm say, and, and it may be. There may be a day. There may be a day that you have to confront somebody with a, a situation. It might be a brother. Iron sharpeneth iron. I'm not saying that that may never come, but I am saying this. You better know God's telling you to do it. Because sometimes people want to be deputy Holy Spirit and correct people, and they have no business correcting. And, and, and sometimes it's not necessarily a sin, it's a preference. And that's a whole other story that we have no time on the clock for. Amen. A rebuke. God starts with a rebuke, a verbal warning, if you will. God will get your attention. That's a soft, that's a soft deal. Boy, I tell you, I've been in church sometimes and in the preaching of the word, it may be the softest form of God's discipline, but it felt like somebody was hitting me in the chest with a sledgehammer. And you know what will happen? If we'll say, Lord, you're right. Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, please forgive me. I will change. I will be different. See, repentance is more than remorse. We don't need regret and we don't need remorse. We need repentance. Repentance means you feel bad enough to do something different. Are y'all with me? Now, but that's the first stage. Let's say that don't work. We pray that works. 
That's the, that's the least painful. If the rebuke doesn't work, then God has to move to chastening. Chastening. Whom the Lord loveth, verse 6, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Now, the word chasteneth means to discipline, to punish, to bring, to bring a stronger form, if you will. This is a more severe form of discipline than the first. Now, remember, even though the word itself means to punish, it's always for the part and the point of restoration. It's always to get us to where we're supposed to be. There is this, this involves this. Now, now we're going to describe it in its form. This, this, this form of discipline involves emotional anxiety, frustration, or distress. It may be pressures that increase at work or at home, in our health or our finances. Many Christians go along in their Christian life in this level of discipline, and they feel unfulfilled at church. They're critical all the time. This kind of, uh, just kind of on the outs with God. They go to church because they're supposed to, but they know things are not right with them and God. When they pick up their Bible, it feels like a lead weight, and they can't seem to figure out why. I've had a lot of people before come to me and say, Preacher, I just don't get anything out of the Bible. Or, or Preacher, when I go to church, I just don't get, there was a time I did, and I just don't get anything anymore. It's a good possibility that you may be under this stage of discipline. Because there's something in your life that you won't let go of that God's already tried to speak to you about, that God's already tried to deal with you about, but you will not let it go. Say, what is the Bible, Bible illustration? How about David? David said in Psalms, he said, this is how he described it. He said, when I kept silence, in other words, when I, when I tried to hide my sin and I kept silence, I didn't repent, I didn't make it right, he said, my bones waxed old. Have you ever seen them people that are the same age as you, but they look 20 years older? Let me tell you something. The Bible says the way of a transgressor is hard. And when God's hand, he said, he said in that same verse, when he said, he said uh, uh, my bones waxed old, when I kept silent, he also said, thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is dried up. In other words, spiritually speaking, physically speaking, he said, I'm just dried up. There's so many things. The Bible speaks of David getting a venereal disease. I mean a loathsome, David called it a loathsome disease. All these things, God trying to get his attention. Some, some commentators believe his, he lived in his sin for over a year. We know it was over nine months because the baby was already, you know, he just kept silent. Trying to hide it, trying to make it go away. And the whole time, the Holy Spirit's dealing with him. The whole time, every time he goes to bed, every time he wakes up, God's speaking to his heart. David, you know this ain't right. David, you know, he said, thy hand is heavy upon me. The second stage. I know this sounds like the worst, but it's not. It's not. The third stage. We see a rebuke, a chastening, then a scourging. The Bible says in verse number 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. The word scourge means to flog. Basically, what, what happened to Jesus before he was crucified was a scourging. They took a cat of nine tails and they beat him upon his back. And, and basically what Paul is trying to say is, is this is an extreme form of discipline. God starts with a mild rebuke. God starts with a word of, of, of rebuke and reproof to try to get our attention. But if we do not repent, if we do not correct the issue in our life, it will continuously get worse and worse and more severe as it goes. In this level of discipline... You are living in open sin and flagrant defiance for what you know is right. 
You've not responded to the Lord's attempts to get your attention. And because of this, he must resort to inflicting pain to get the result. God takes long-term sin very seriously. The consequences are more drastic than most Christians realize. Paul said that unconfessed and unrepented sin in the Corinthian church had caused some of its members to get sick, to get weak, and even die. 1 Corinthians 11.30 For this cause many are weak and sickly among you. Many sleep. The word sleep means to die. You know, there's a lot of a connection to the, the healing verses in the Bible. When the Bible says that we are to confess our sin one to another, that we may be healed. Because, because a lot of times there are sicknesses that are sicknesses because God has brought it upon them that could change if they just repent. And, and you say, well, you preach, you're trying to scare us. No, I, I'm just preaching the Bible. This is what the Bible says. And let me take it a step further. Let me take it a step further. Okay, we have rebuke, we have chastening, and we have a scourging. I mean, it just increases in intensity. It increases in, 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 in the pain level, threshold, whatever you want to call it. And, and it's constantly God trying to get our attention. If you, if you will read the book of Revelation, if you will read the book of Revelation and, and read it in detail, you'll find out that there, there are seven, uh, seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, seven vile judgments, each coming out of the other. Basically, 21 different forms or sets of judgments God is bringing upon this earth. And if you will study it, you'll find from the first to the last, it is increasing in magnitude. It's increasing in its, its, its uh, it's almost like a crescendo, like it's building up. And, 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 con and you will find several times in that period of time during the tribulation period, the seven-year tribulation period, that God gives an opportunity of grace. And God gives an opportunity of mercy. And you know what that teaches me? God is trying to get this world's attention. God is doing everything he can to get them to quit having confidence in themselves and turn their hearts back to him. He is trying everything he can to get their attention. And different times he offers grace and mercy so they will repent, but they do not. And the same principle applies here. God's people, God loves you too much to let you go in your sin. Why? Why? Now think about this. The wages of sin is And if God lets you stay in your sin, you're bringing death upon your family. You're bringing death upon your life. Spiritual sin will bring physical death. It will bring death to relationships. It will bring death to your physical health. It is what it is, and God wants you to be healthy. The Bible says this, The thief cometh but to steal, kill, and destroy, but I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. How unloving would God be if he let you stay in a dangerous situation without trying to get your attention to get you out of it? Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. He doesn't do any of this stuff because he hates you. He doesn't do any of this stuff because he's mad at you. He doesn't do any of this stuff for any other reason but because he loves you. And he knows what's best for you. And he knows where you'll get the most out of life. And he wants you back where you need to be so you will experience the best in life. Now, rebuke, chastening, scourging. I will say this, the Bible also speaks of a sin unto death, and, and God constantly having to get somebody's attention, and if they, will not, if they will not turn and come back to him, I believe, according to Scripture, that God will take them home. I truly believe there are many people who went to heaven early because they wouldn't come back to God. I truly believe that. I truly believe that. Uh, some people, you know, 
Uh, I've read the story of Sam Kennison. Sam Kennison used to be a preacher. He was, he was a, a, a comedian. Most of you would know him as a comedian and not necessarily as the preacher, but he was a preacher who had, a, had an issue in his life and ended up getting a divorce and was in a real, real, real uh, conservative, strict denomination. And, 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 and because of the family situation, uh, I assume that, that, that he was not allowed to preach anymore. They wouldn't let him preach, and, and, and great bitterness set in. Uh, and, and there was just, it was almost like as much as he was going for God, he turned the opposite. And, and if you read the story of his life, I mean, it, 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 it so reveals and reminds to me a story of bitterness, a story of somebody who was hurt, who was broken, and because of the things that took place in his life, he got very bitter about it, and bitterness always brings out anger. And so he was very angry at God. He was very angry at God's people. He was very angry at church. And, and probably, to be honest, he probably had a right to be because he probably dealt with some very judgmental, hypocritical people. I mean, I can't say that, but I, I, I can just imagine. I can just imagine. And so, so throughout his comedy routines, you would see him be real, real uh, arrogant toward the things of God and God and, and mocking God in, in so many ways. And, and, and not long into his career, y'all know he had a, he had a car accident. Uh, and, and eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses, uh, who, who were there on the scene. And this is, and, and, and what I read was not out of a religious magazine. What I read was, out, I believe it was either Newsweek or Time magazine. And, and it was a secular magazine. And they said that, 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 that his, the people that came up on the scene after the wreck, I believe it was, I believe it was a, a drunk driver, a drunk teenage driver that hit him head on. And, and, and he did so much mocking about drinking and so much mocking about partying and, and, and getting drunk and all these kind of things. It was like it just came, came to haunt him. And when they pulled up on the wreck, when they pulled up on the wreck, witnesses said that he was walking around the wreck, looking up saying, why? Why now? Why now? I don't want to go now. Why now? And he sat down beside the car and died. Now, you can believe what you want to. I mean, it, everybody's got their own opinion, and, 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 and go read it. Go, go, go read this story. And people say, well, he was, he was going to hell and he, he had all that. You know what? I, I just, you're going to have a hard time convincing me of that. I know what he did. And I, I know, I know, I know uh, what happened. But I truly believe with all my heart. And you, you can believe whatever you want to believe. It's America. It's, it's fine. But I believe that he was a broken, bitter, angry child of God that was going a hundred miles an hour away from God and God tried and tried and tried and tried and tried to get his attention and when he saw that was not going to happen I believe he took him home <laughs> Paul told the Corinthian church he said you need to deal there was a man having an affair with a stepmother in the Corinthian church you can read this in the first letter to the Corinthians he said you need to deal with a sin this is a horrible sin. You need to deal with a sin, and he needs to repent. If he will not repent, this is, the, this is the terminology Paul used. We need to turn his flesh over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the soul may be saved. And I believe that's what happened. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this. If God is dealing with you, repent. If there is something in your life that you know that it sh should not be there, repent. God's not going to quit. If you, and I'm speaking to saved people. And if you're not saved, you just need to get saved. Don't worry about none of this. You just need Jesus. I am assuming, I'm saying this, I am addressing this as a saved crowd because that's what Hebrews 12 is to, to a saved crowd. And if you don't know Jesus, I invite you to come and know him and let us tell you about him. But if you, if you, if, if you do know Jesus and you're not living the way you need and God is dealing with you in any, any one of these forms, I wouldn't go another day. Without saying, God, I'm sorry. Because I'm, I'm I promise you this, 
God didn't have me out of the blue preach on, on last Wednesday and this Wednesday on this topic because I would have picked any topic but this one. I'd rather talk about grace. I'd rather talk about God's mercy, and I'd rather talk about God's strength and power. And, but you know what? Sometimes we just need to judge at home. And let's make things right and be what God wants us to be. Because any time during this period of time, all we've got to do is say, Lord, that's it. I'm sorry. Let me read this and we'll, we'll pray. A Norfolk, Norfolk, Norfolk Southern train was rolling down the rails of Indiana at 24 miles per hour. Suddenly, the conductor, Robert Moore, spotted an object on the tracks uh, roughly a city block away. Now, initially, the engineer, Rod Lindley, thought it was a dog on the tracks. Then Moore screamed, that's a baby. The baby was 19-month-old Emily Marshall, who had wandered away from home while her mother planted flowers in her yard. Lindley hit the brakes, and Moore bolted out the door and raced along the edge of the front of the engine, and he realized there was no time to jump ahead of the train and grab the baby. So he ran down a set of steps, squatted on the bottom of the grill, and hung on. As the train drew close to Emily, she rolled off the rail onto the roadbed, but she was still in danger of being hit by the train. So Moore stretched out his leg and pushed her out of harm's way. Moore then jumped off the train, picked up the little girl, and cradled her in his arms. Little, little Emily ended up with just a cut on her forehead, a swollen lip. And, you know, this story tells us, sometimes like this train conductor, God must hurt us in order to save us. Don't get angry when God has to get our attention because he always does it out of love. Always. And all God's people say it. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Uh, uh, I want to I do this. I want to do this. Uh, I want to give everybody an opportunity to come, but I, I want to do this. I want to do this. If there's some in here that, that don't even have no sin in your life, I want you to come too so those that do don't feel like everybody's looking at them. Are y'all with me? Can we do that and have a heart for other people and encourage them to get right? And, and, and so, so we, we got a bunch of people up here, so they don't know who's got sin and who don't. And matter of fact, we probably could all use a little altar time, be honest. So let's do that. Let's find a place. Let's find a place. If you're here and God spoke to your heart about getting something right with him, come and get it right with him at this altar. Confess it to him. Lord, I, I'm making this right. Do that. And the rest of us, let's just, let's just come and pray and pray uh, that God will keep us from having to get to this point. All right? That's it. Find a place. If God speaks to you, don't go another day. Don't go another minute. Don't go another hour. Don't go another day in discipline. Don't go another moment in the, in, the, in, the, in the throes of God's discipline. Let's get right. Let's repent tonight. Let's repent tonight. Come on, come on, come on, come on. And for you others, let's pray for those that's at the altar. Let's pray for those at the altar. Hey, examine your heart. You say, preacher, I ain't got no sin, but I'm okay. Hey, you might be surprised. Examine your heart. Ask the Lord to examine your heart. And if you're not saved, the people that are standing at this altar, the people that are standing at this altar, they got a Bible and they'll be glad to help you. They'll be glad to help you know Jesus. All you got to do is ask. Father, I come to you tonight and I'm grateful for your mercy. I'm grateful for your word. I'm grateful for your truth. Lord, I, 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 I do not deserve the opportunity to come stand. And Lord, I feel, I feel like the least among the brethren to be able to share your word. But I do know, I do know this is the truth. I do know that, Lord, your word is true and your word is real. And, God, we can come and confess our sin to you. And you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I'm praying for every, every person at this altar. I'm praying for every person in this room. I'm praying for everyone here. Lord, I pray that you will forgive them of their sin. I pray that you'll wash us white as snow. You said, come, let us reason together. Though your sin be as scarlet, they should be white as snow. Lord, I know we may go down in guilt. Lord, we may go down to this altar in guilt and bad feelings and frustration, but we can come up washed white as snow. We can come up forgiven. We can come up redeemed. God, speak to us. Wash our sin away. Bring peace back into our hearts. Bring grace back into our hearts. 
God, give us what we stand in need of. We thank you for your word that has spoken to us. We thank you for your word who has, who has brought into our hearts revelation and encouragement. God, this wasn't anything to make people mad. This wasn't anything to make people feel worse. This was an encouragement that we have a loving God who will do whatever it takes to get our attention so we can be on a right standing with him and have the favor of God in our life and the blessings of God in our life. I pray that you'll bless and anoint and change the hearts of those here tonight. And God, I'll praise you and I'll thank you. And I'll give you all the glory and all the praise and all the honor. For all that you do, in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.